Southland for any period of time, you know that this becomes an attachment to your hand, you know. And I used to go visit relatives in uh, North Willamette Valley of Oregon. It would be raining, and I'd be walking around holding a water bottle, and they wanted to know what I was doing that for, you know. I said, come to Laughlin. (laughs) Come to Laughlin. All right, this morning, as we begin, there's something that I would like for us to do, and that is I would like to for us to do our Bible pledge. So I'm going to ask each one of you to, whether you access your scriptures through uh, your Bible this morning or through, uh, you know, an electronic device, I'm going to ask you to take your scriptures, and if you would all stand, if you are physically able to do so, our Bible pledge will be two pages on the screen. And my invitation to you is to raise your Bible to the Lord, and I'm going to ask you if you would join to me Join me in this pledge, and and you need to mean these words from the very bottom of your heart. Okay, this is my Bible. It is the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind, changes my heart, and refreshes my soul. It is my daily bread. By faith, I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Praise God. May it be so. Now, I'm going to ask you to remain standing with me, if you would, please. Two weeks ago, on 4th of July weekend Sunday, Independence Day Sunday, There's something that we forgot to do that I personally believe is very, very important. Whether we are worshiping in the sanctuary or whether we're worshiping in the fellowship hall as we are today because of the construction, there's one thing that we always have posted in the room every time, and that is that flag right there. That's old glory. And we recognize it by posting it here because... It represents all of the liberties and freedoms that are expressly granted to us in the wonderful Constitution of the United States of America. And we forgot to say the Pledge of Allegiance on Fourth of July weekend. So I'm going to ask you if you would join with me this morning and join me in pledging allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I want to ask you this morning, uh, how many of you know this chorus, this simple chorus you see on this slide? Can we raise your hand if you hallelujah, hallelujah, praise you the Lord? You know that? Okay? So there's a fair number of you. There's, you know, of course, those of you that don't know it, it's a very simple tune. And we're going to strike up the band. We're going to play. I'm going to, we're going to sing it through once, and that will give you all the opportunity to learn this simple tune. And then we're going to come back and do it again, okay? So in a moment, you're going to have a musical introduction And then let's join together and go through this chorus one time, all right? 
Here's the introduction. a method to my madness this morning, and that is the fact that it is now time for you do, to do your Sunday morning calisthenics. And, and my method has to do with the fact I need to get your blood pumping because I don't need any of you falling asleep during the message this morning. So those of you that are physically able to do this, here's what we're going to do. The ladies are going to stand and sing the hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And they're going to quickly sit down, and the men are going to stand and sing, Praise ye the Lord. And then the ladies are back up again, and the men are down and back and forth. And the only exception to that is when we get to the very last, Praise ye the Lord, everyone's standing at that point, okay? So are you prepared to do this? Of course you are. So ladies, would you please stand? And remember, there will be the musical introduction, and then away we go with our exercise program, all right? Now, you're not done yet because some of you messed up in one spot there, okay? And I'm a perfectionist. You have got to get this right, okay? So wake up and pay attention, folks. Here we go. So ladies, if you would stand, please. Here's the introduction. Now you're wide awake, right? Okay. So we're ready to go. I'm going to ask you if you would take your Bibles 
And turn in your scriptures to the scripture that you see on the screen from Joshua chapter 17. Today, uh, we're going to be on a journey with Joshua conquering Canaan. And Canaan is a picture to us of the fullness of the believer's life, the victory, the victory that we are to have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, the Old Testament is God's book of illustrations of New Testament truths and of New Testament victory. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples. For examples, to who? To us, to those that would follow. Now the tribe of Manasseh together with Ephraim, you know, the tribes are, uh, the sons are named after the sons of Jacob, okay? And the, the house of Joseph is made up of two of those tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The other tribes are made up of, by name of one of the other sons of each of the other sons of Jacob. Joshua himself was a descendant of Ephraim, so Joshua himself was of the house of Joseph. So I want you to come with me, if you will, and we're going to look into our scriptures. We're going to open them and read our scripture lesson this morning from Joshua chapter 17, beginning at verse 12. And when we've finished reading, I'm going to ask you if you would you know, keep your scriptures open to where you can come back to them in the course of this period of time we share together. Beginning at verse 12. Yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance. We are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Raphaites. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plains have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Beth Shan and its settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. We're going to look to the Lord for a word of prayer, and then we're going to seek to find what this means for us in our individual lives today. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'll help us to have a better understanding as we search through your scriptures this morning of how we can truly have victory in Jesus. 
For, Lord, we know that your challenge for us and your desire for us and your plan for us is that we might be victorious Christians living victoriously. So, Lord, I pray that that you'll help in regard to the deficiencies of this speaker and that your holy word, your scriptures, will be applied to each individual here through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. May your will be accomplished in this period of time we have together now as we look into your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I want you to know, I want you to know something that probably you don't realize, and that is that there are three persons sitting in your chair right now. Three persons, you know, and you say, well, Pastor Gene, I wonder why I felt, you know, why I felt so crowded. (laughs) And for some reason, it's not advancing, so someone, there we go, okay. I wonder why I felt so crowded. Well, first of all, the first person is, of course, the person who you are today. That's the first person. The second person sitting in your chair is the person that you could be for evil if God doesn't have full control of your life. Now, I think no one truly realizes just how wicked he or she could be if they took their eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that there is no sin of the flesh that you're not capable of committing? If you take your eyes off of Jesus, even though you are a Christian, do you know that? Well, if you don't, you better learn it, and you better learn it very soon. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, and I don't know if this thing's run out of batteries or not, um, but it's not advancing, folks. Um, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? (laughs) Thank you. You folks will have to advance me when the time comes. What's there is not what's there. Okay. Even though you have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if you you cease to abide in Him, if you take your eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would be amazed at the potentiality for evil that there is lurking within your own heart. I, I remember reading in the Bible... In the Old Testament, about a man, it was prophesied of this man that he would commit all kinds of atrocities. I mean, horrible, horrible things. And that man said in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 13, he said, Am I a dog that I would do such a thing? And then he did it. He did it. There is that person who is capable of much evil who's sitting right in your seat. But there's also a third person, and I want to concentrate this morning on that third person. And that is that many of us, I believe, have not yet begun to imagine, to begin to imagine 
how that person who is sitting in our seats, how much could be fully used for good and righteousness. I'm telling you, friends, what you could truly be for God, the person that you could be for righteousness, the love that you could show, the faith that you could manifest, the work that you could do, the things that you could achieve under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit for Jesus Christ. You perhaps have little dreamt what you could be for God. So there's three people, three persons sitting in your seat. And we're going to concentrate on that third person, Lord willing. And I want today for us to think about maximum living. Living life to the max. It's all about reaching your potentiality in the Lord. It's about living to capacity in Him. It's how God ordained for us as believers to live. See, so many of us are not maximum Christians. So many of us are not all that we could be, all that we ought to be. And bless God, all that we will be as we find ourselves coming into complete surrender to Him. Now, these people of Manasseh, they're an illustration for us today of some who failed to reach their potential. And some of us have failed to maximize our lives. And we need to look at them to see why perhaps we have failed to do that. So here's our key point number one, and that is the problem of partial possession, of partial possession. This has become more complicated than it really is. (laughs) The problem of partial possession is the first of three problems that these children of Manasseh had when they failed to reach their potential. In the first place, their first failure was this. They failed to completely possess their possessions. It was a problem of partial possession. You see, these people were where they were, having been brought to the land of promise by the Lord. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And it was by the miraculous hand of God that he parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they could escape that slavery in Egypt with the intent and the promise that God was going to take them to the land of promise. And... God protected them as the waters of the Red Sea caved in. They caved in on the Egyptian army that was in pursuit and destroyed the Egyptian army. They had other enemies out there in that wilderness. As they traveled across that wilderness, God provided a a pillar of cloud by day to guide them, and he provided a pillar of fire by night to protect them from their enemies. It was God that took them across that wilderness area and brought them to a point of entry into Canaan, the land of promise. And it is then that their faith failed them. They sent 12 spies in. You know, Ten of them came back and said, they're, too, they're giants, they're too big, they're too powerful, they're too strong. We can't do this. Folks, you hadn't done any of this yourself. God had done it all. He was there. He was for you. He was ready to carry you. So because of their disobedience, they wandered 
for 40 years in that wilderness till a new generation came on board. And then, then God brought them to the banks of the Jordan. They followed. They were obedient. God parted the waters of the Jordan. They marched across on dry land. He took them to the walled city of Jericho. And as they marched around the walls of that fortress city and blew their trumpets, the walls fell down. What did, what did archaeologists find many years later? They found those walls didn't collapse because the Israelites pushed them down from the outside. Those walls collapsed from the inside out because guess who was doing it? God was once again intervening on their behalf. Now they come to this point where God says, I want you to possess all of this land. I want you to drive these people out. This is the land I promised to you. And they aren't completely obedient. So they completely, they failed to completely possess their possessions. If, if you look in verse 12 of our scripture, yet, yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. What they were doing was they were keeping company with Canaanites. And God said, drive out the Canaanites. So the question for us today is, who are the Canaanites? Who are the Canaanites? Well, to us, to us, the Canaanites represent the power of Satan. Because, you see, the Canaanites were demon worshipers. They were demon worshipers. And God said that they were to utterly be driven out. They were to be dispossessed so that God's children could inherit the land. Now, remember, the land speaks of the fullness that you and I have in Christ. The Canaanites speak of the power of Satan that keeps us sometimes from living to the maximum and fulfilling our potentiality. Now, you know, you're always going to be in trouble if you are constantly keeping company with Canaanites because you don't really have anything as a Christian in common with Canaanites. I mean, I heard one time about a pastor late at night was, was on his way home. He's driving down the city street, and he saw this older gentleman staggering around on the sidewalk. He was obviously intoxicated. And the pastor stopped and, and, and got out of his car and went over to him and talked with him, held a conversation, and, and, and finally found out in the conversation where the man lived. And he said, well, come with me, I'll, I'll put you in my car, and I'll take you home. So the man did. He went with him, and he, he, he took him home, and he drove him up to the front of his house and got out and helped him out of the car and helped him to his front door. And, you know, the pastor said, well, you know, I'll be praying for you. And the man said, I want you to come in with me. And the pastor said, why do you want me to come in with you? He said, because I want my wife to see who I've been keeping company with. Okay. Well, some of us have been keeping company with Canaanites when we have no business keeping company with Canaanites. And, and what do I mean by Canaanites? I mean sins that are in our lives that we ought to be victorious over, but we aren't victorious. Do you know what God's plan for Manasseh was? The plan was complete victory, complete victory. Do you know what God wants you to have? Complete victory. Now, I can hear it. Somebody in their mind is saying, oh, Pastor Gene, 
Victory, complete victory is impossible. Impossible. Well, as long as you feel it is, it will be. It will be. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57, but thanks be to God, He, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God's plan for you and for me is complete victory. We are to be living victoriously. Do, do you know what, do you know what G- General Douglas MacArthur said when, when he came back from Korea? I, I was just a little, just a young lad, probably about, I don't know, 10 years old, 8 years old, when President Truman summoned General MacArthur back from Korea. And I remember, probably because my father and grandfather pointed it out to me, but I remember the photos of, of, of General MacArthur uh, disembarking that, that plane and the throngs and the crowds that met him there. And later, because he was a graduate of West Point and he was a decorated general, they invited him to come and speak at West Point. And when he was at West Point, why, uh, Douglas MacArthur said this. He said, in war, there is no substitute for victory. In war, there's no substitute for victory. That's from a general's viewpoint. Now, you think about that. You know, in war, there's no substitute for victory. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're in a war. We're in a war, and there must be no compromise, no substitute for victory. I mean, there's an alternative. That alternative is defeat, to live defeatist. But there's no substitute. There's, there's no... To be, there's to be no backing up. There's to be no letting up. No substitute for victory in our personal spiritual lives. You know, we're not here. God hasn't challenged us to be here to make peace with the world, to get along with the world. We're to overcome the world. And a worldly Christian is basically a traitor to his or her Lord. I mean, are you a worldly Christian or do you testify that you know that you have victory in Jesus and you're unashamed of it no matter where you are or who you're talking to? So I, I want to say there's no substitute for victory over the flesh. You know, we're not to, to condone the flesh. We're to, here to crucify the flesh. And our flesh is not to be dictating to us. We're to be living victoriously, victoriously not only over the world, but we're to be living victoriously over the flesh. And not just over the world and the flesh, but victoriously over the devil, Satan, the old man himself. Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day and now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and for me that we might have true victory in Jesus. You know, the the devil is like a roaring lion. You know, you don't sit down with a peace, at a peace conference with a roaring lion. You know, either you get that roaring lion or he gets you. We're not to sit down and peacefully coexist with Satan. We are to have complete victory. You are to be living in victory. That's the reason why the church is commissioned, is commissioned not to just hide in our own little structure, you know, in a protected situation, 
as if we are building a moat and a wall around this holy place. And if people want to come to the Lord, they got to come to us. But that's not the picture that's portrayed in Scripture. The, the picture that's portrayed in Scripture is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It shall not prevail against us. Why? Because we're going out in the community. We're going out and sharing Jesus, the love of Christ, the message of Christ, the the, the testimony of victory in Jesus. We're sharing our testimony, what God has done for us to make us victorious. We're not hiding behind the four walls of the church because God has called us to go out there where the need is the greatest. And there we are to share the love of Christ and to testify to the message of salvation. So, first of all, there were the Canaanites that that they favored. They favored. And I want you to, to look, if you will, at verse 13. Verse 13 says, However, when the Israelites were stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. So, when the Israelites got fairly strong, on their own, rather than following God's direction, they said, well, you know, there's no reason to get rid of these particular Canaanites. You know, rather, rather than driving them out, you know, we'll use them. We'll make, we'll make slaves out of them, you know. Rather than getting rid of them, we'll make them pay taxes. You know, that's, that's, that is, you know, we're going to use these, these, these folks, and we'll be better off with them in the land, regardless of what God has said. But regardless of what his instruction, we, we know best. We have human knowledge. You know, we are intelligent people. We'll be better off with them in the land. And so there were the Canaanites they favored. I don't know. Do you have any Canaanite that you're showing favor to in your life? I mean, is there, is there some sin in your life that you think you're better off with? Perhaps it's some companion that God has told you to get rid of. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. (laughs) Is there some questionable business practice or financial scheme that you need to drop? You say, well, well, Pastor, I I think I'm strong enough to handle it. Is there some habit that controls you, that somehow you think enhances your life? Do you have some Canaanite that you're favoring, that's paying tribute to you, that you've made a slave of that sin? And someone may say, well, ha, it hasn't enslaved me. I'm pretty strong. I can take it or leave it. Well, come to think of it, that's all anybody can do, right, is take it or leave it. But I've noticed that most of the people who say they can take it or leave it, they always take it. They they always take it. They say, well, I've got victory over this thing, but I wonder, who really has victory over you? But perhaps you think you're strong enough, you can control certain Canaanites. I once read about a family in Texas who had a, a little lion cub 
that they were, they'd somehow gotten their hands on and they were raising this lion cub as a pet in their apartment. And one day they had their baby in the bassinet in the nursery asleep and they decided to just briefly step across the hall to their friends that lived directly across from them in the apartment complex and have a short visit. When they came back into their apartment, they heard a strange noise coming from the nursery. And when they went into the nursery, they made the awful discovery that that pet that they thought they could raise in their apartment, that lion cub, had, had eaten several fingers off of their little baby. Can you imagine how they felt? Can you imagine trying to raise a lion cub in your apartment? They thought it was something they could control. I wonder, do you have some pet sin that's going to rise up and devour something precious in your life? So there were certain Canaanites that they favored, certain Canaanites that they thought they could control. They said, we're strong. We can handle them, and we'll make these Canaanites pay tribute. But then there were other Canaanites. There were Canaanites that they favored. I mean, those are the ones they favored. There were the Canaanites that they feared, that they feared. Look at verse 16. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots. In other words, they had armaments of war. They were too powerful. You know, we can't drive them out because they're too powerful. We're not as strong as they are. But their strength wasn't in themselves. Their strength was in God who had brought them to the land of promise. They're the ones that they didn't think that they could drive out. They were in a mess. Here was a partial possession. They hadn't taken the land that God had given them to take. They hadn't possessed it because... There were some Canaanites they favored, and there were some Canaanites that they feared. With us, some sins that perhaps we've made peace with, and other sins that perhaps we think we can't overcome at all. Have you experienced that? Are there certain things in your life you say, I can handle that, and don't? And then there are other things in your life you say, I can't handle that, and you don't. There are just certain problems in your life, certain sins that have chariots of iron. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you are obeying the Word of God, there is absolutely no sin that should have dominion over you. Not one, not one single one. There is no sin so strong. There is no temptation so terrible. There is no problem so powerful that the child of God cannot overcome it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it yourself. I can't do it myself. But it's being fully surrendered to Christ and dependent upon the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the promises that God has extended to us, something that I don't alone have the strength to do without Him.
without him. And if there is, then I might as well close my Bible right now and never preach another sermon. You cannot say, the devil made me do it. Because he can't make you do it. He can't. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it also says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Praise God. I count on that. I count on those passages of Scripture. How about you? And the reason that many Christian people are not living maximum lives, the reason that many Christian people are not reaching their spiritual potential is the tragedy of partial possession. There are Canaanites that we fail to drive out. There are Canaanites that we favor, Canaanites that we fear. God is wanting to give you victory over every sin, every sin. Did you know that as you're sitting here this morning, that you ought to be able to say, I thank God I thank God that there is no unconfessed, unrepented sin in my life. Now see, none of us are going to have sinless perfection. But here's the thing. When we find that we've stepped outside of the Lord's will, the moment that we, that realization strikes us as Christians, as born-again Christians, at that moment, we come to him confessing what we've done. He knows all about it already. You know, you're not telling him anything he doesn't know, but you need to confess it. But confession itself isn't enough. There are people all over the land and all over the world that went to confession today, and they already have in their calendars to do the same thing next week that they're confessing. See, that's not repentance. And what the Bible calls for is it calls for Repentance and confession is a small part of repentance. But repentance is coming to the Lord to seek his forgiveness, having confessed the sin to him, and then saying, Lord, I promise that as you help me, as you enable me, as you strengthen me, I don't ever want to do this again. I'm turning my back on that sin. I'm turning my face to Christ. And Lord, as you strengthen me and help me, I pledge to you that this will not be a part of my lifestyle, ever, again. And then we are totally dependent upon God to give us the strength to do that. Thank God there's absolutely no sin that is holding me in its grip. I thank God that Jesus Christ has done what? He has set me free. Set me free. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free you will be what? Free indeed. So Jesus Christ, there's nowhere in the Bible that says Jesus Christ came to save you in your sins. It says he came to save you from your sin. From. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And as I've said before, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I'm talking about a life of victory where God's people are no longer slaves to sin, sins that they favor and sins that they fear. The tragedy is that there are so many professing Christians, there perhaps are even some here today, who name the name of Jesus, who have entered into Canaan, but are still keeping company with Canaanites. Canaanites that should have been moved out and kicked out a long, long time ago. Each one of us needs to be living the victorious Christian life. You and I are insufficient to bring that to pass under our own strength and wisdom. Each one of us needs to be living the Christian life to the maximum. Who is, who is the only one that is sufficient to daily bring us to that point of victory? Who is the one, who is the only one that's sufficient? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the all-powerful, our Lord, our Savior. Look to Jesus. I, I love this. I love this chorus. Wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God is He. Wow, saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer. Praise His name. Hey, can you, if, if I can get you on tune, can you sing that with me, you know? You know, pray for Gene, okay? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me, counselor, prince of peace, mighty God is he, saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful is my Redeemer. Praise His name. Hallelujah. Praise His name. Would you please stand? I ask you this morning, is there some sin that you need to dump today? Jesus. Jesus is in the sin disposal business. Praise God. We're going to be having a, a time of invitation. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to have a brief word of prayer. And then I will be standing down front. And if today the Lord has spoken to your heart, perhaps you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. I mean, what better time than now? As God is drawing you to him, if you are seeking to open your heart to receive Christ as your Savior, I'll be standing down front here, and I invite you to come and share that with me. And then we'll pray together, because I can't do that. You know, I can't put a hand on you and say, blessing you're saved. That's not it. But we come to Jesus. And so you come and share it. We'll pray together. Perhaps you know that you've given your heart to the Lord. You've been born again. But, you know, you're walking behind light and truth that you know that you need to get some things corrected in your life because you've grown cold in your spirit. I invite you to come.
and privately share that with me, and we will pray together this morning. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truth that your word dispenses to us to help us to know the way, the way that we need to walk with you and where the power source comes from and it is. I pray, Lord, if there are anyone, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus, their Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, they don't know what true living is, Lord. Draw them to yourself. May they this day make a commitment to Jesus. And if there are those who have given their heart to you but are walking behind light that you have shed on their pathway in some disobedience, Lord, help them that today they rededicate their life to you and recommit to maximum living for Christ. May your will be done as we worship today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.